Welcome everybody to the Tech Trailblazers Founders on Fire podcast. And today we are talking to Tim Hymix, who is the CTO and co-founder of Styra and one of the guys behind the open policy agent OPA, which has recently graduated within the CNCF. Hello, Tim. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Rose. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Fantastic. So, um, yeah, we're just going to talk a little bit about how you came from um, academia through into the world of a big corporate and then out that other side into Styra and the formation of that. So perhaps you could tell us a little bit about that journey, Tim. Uh, yeah, so back, uh, I did my, 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 as you say, my doctoral work at Stanford in computer science, um, and, but I focused on policy languages, declarative languages. Most people don't even know that's a thing that you can do. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that was what I focused on. And then, and as you say, uh, I worked as, in postdoc, as a postdoc for a number of years as well. But what also happened simultaneously uh, was that um, uh, Nasira's, one of Nasira's founders, uh, remember Nasira was known for software-defined networking for coining that term. Mm-hmm. So one of uh, Nasira's founders uh, and I knew each other at, at Stanford, and so as I was at the same time that I was doing my, my uh, postdoc work, uh, I was also working with, with him and Nasira in the early days, because in the early days in Nasira, it was really a, a company designed around the idea of a policy-based networking solution, right? You write some rules about you know, mm-hmm. what packets can move around, and then the, the software goes ahead and, and implements and forces that automatically. So, uh, so they needed a policy language, and that's what, you know, obviously, I've been, I've been studying for a number of years. Anyway, so I knew uh, the, the Nasira folks back then, and then uh, a few years later, decided to uh, go ahead and, and, and join back in with Nasira more formally, uh, like leave academia and move into industry. And, and that was about the time that Nasira was acquired by VMware. Uh, and so that's how I ended up in, in VMware, doing, you know, working on the same kinds of problems that I've been working on forever. Uh, and then at, at, at VMware, it turns out that we were talking to a number of Nasira's clients at the time. They were financials and tech firms. And what they told us was that, like, um, that they all had like hundreds of thousands even of, of applications. And, and what they had to end up building was this sort of unified solution to policy for all their apps. That was just how they found that they had to manage authorization policy for all those apps. And so what they said was, you know what, could you go off and Build, uh, you know, a, a solution, a unified solution of policy for us, and and you know, because they didn't want to do it, that wasn't their their core competency, it wasn't what they wanted to spend time on. And so anyway, so then we started a project inside of OpenStack at the time. That was what uh, Nasira was very comfortable in in the open source world. Um, and so we worked on that for a couple of years, but then uh, we realized that this problem of unified policy, unified authorization, was one that was going to be. Uh, not just an OpenStack problem, not just a VMware problem. It was a, it was a, it was a problem that spanned all the different technologies uh, that people are using, especially in this sort of cloud-native world, this DevOps world, this microservice world. Uh, so that's when we went ahead and, and started Styra. Um, so that's kind of the founding story, I guess. Fantastic. That sounds good. So, Tim, thanks for sharing that, um, that interesting journey, which was quite fortuitous, really, wasn't it? So coming through postdoctoral stuff, coming across Nicera, and then that obviously being acquired by VMware, and then you're also finding this, this groundswell of interest in authorization. Um, so, yeah, so that's great. Um, 
So looking back at that, let's have a look at perhaps at the technology side of things. So you've talked a little bit of how you came up with the idea and what what um, the the push was from the users in your conversations while you guys were at VMware. So tell us about your co-founder and you know what you've been up to because I understand that the technology is both an open source project, the open side of things, and then a commercial one. So could you just give us an insight into you know who the founding team were and how you guys have been operating for the last five years? Sure. Yeah. So um, uh, one of the uh, uh, the other co-founder, Timu Kaponen, um, he's got a great background in, in distributed systems. He was actually the chief architect at Nasira. Um, and so uh, what was great was that when we uh, realized that we needed to start Styra, uh, we, we knew from our past experience, uh, technically speaking, what the requirements were on a solution for unified authorization. Uh, and so one piece, of course, was that we needed uh, a policy language that allowed people to write down whatever policies they cared about. And that policy would have to work. That policy language would have to work for really any kind of piece of software, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's like Kubernetes or microservices or an application, it didn't really matter. But the second thing that we knew we needed was a distributed architecture, a way of, 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 of implementing and enforcing policy um, at, at a scale that could only be served uh, through through distribution uh, and, and a decentralized architecture, and, and Timu's background is is exactly that, right? He came, he had a similar kind of uh, journey as I did, which is he did his doctoral work in distributed systems, and so now you know the the, the two of us combined have all those technical uh, um, uh, all that technical background we need to build out obviously a distributed authorization system. Um, and so anyway, that's. Kind of how how uh, how I like to think about it, and how we how we got started down this technical road. Cool. So that's that side of things. So do you want to tell us a little bit about OPA? Because that really was the beginning of the Styra journey, wasn't it? And obviously, and how that fits in with you know maybe just give a quick overview for people, uh, which I think would be interesting for myself as well. Is you know how does this all work when you have an open source thing that you donate to the CNCF or a similar, you know, open source body. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the one, one thing to, to keep in mind here is that that definition of the problem statement, right? The problem statement that we solve is, is authorization, right? So that's just a, the, the, really a fancy word for just saying, you know, controlling the actions that people and machines are taking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's you know, the, the example I like to give there is, you know, banking application. Anytime I log into a banking application, if I try to withdraw money, uh, am I authorized to do that or not? Am I allowed to take that action or not? So the software needs to know the answer to that. It has to enforce it. And that's kind of the problem space that, that, that we're in. Um, and then uh, what we really focus on is, is really all of those software systems, uh, solving that authorization problem for all those software systems that developers use to, to build and run their own software. So it's kind of a meta authorization problem. Uh, but anyway, so uh, that's kind of the problem space. And then uh, we built two pieces of software to, to address this, the first of which is this open policy agent project. Its goal is to provide this unified language uh, and tool set for uh, expressing and enforcing policy uh, across many different kinds of software. So that's really OPA's goal. Uh, and what we did uh, when we started it was, you know, we spent a couple of years developing it, making sure that we had a a good and solid uh, piece of software that people could use, and we had people using it. And then we eventually donated it to the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. Um, and so the way that works is that when you donate it to the CNCF, 
you typically start out as what what's called a sandbox uh, level of maturity, and then it graduate, and then it moves ahead to the incubating level, and then finally it moves it moves along to the graduated level of maturity, and that's where OPA is. That's the same sort of grad. That's the same level of maturity as Kubernetes, Prometheus, Envoy, some of these other very popular cloud native uh, software systems. So, so that's kind of the journey for uh, for any project that's going into the CNCF. So it's in good company then, if it's with Prometheus and Kubernetes then in that case, because obviously they're very well recognized. So Tim, that's OPA and that's the, you know, your open source uh, project, which has been shared with um, the CNCF, the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. Could you tell us a little bit more about the commercial product that Sire has really been developing more over the last couple of years? Yeah, great. So you know, the, the commercial product that we have uh, aims to operationalize OPA for the enterprise. Uh, so mm-hmm. the way I always like to think about it is that um, OPA uh, uh, was sort of designed to be a distributed um, approach to authorization. So you might run not just one or 10, but maybe 100 or 1,000 instances of OPA. And so then the commercial product gives you that control plane that allows you to do things like author policy, distribute policy to all those OPAs, make sure that all the OPAs are healthy, record all the decisions that they're making. Uh, and so then overall, um, it really does aim to, to, to bring OPA and make it easy to use within an enterprise, not just for a single developer, but, but across many different teams. Brilliant. That's fantastic. And one of the things that struck me is um, obviously you've come from academia by being kind of almost pulled through to the commercial world. You know, I didn't see you kicking and screaming, so hopefully it wasn't too painful a, an experience. But Styro as an organization being five years old and only taken um, a 14 million in Series A funding is quite unusual. If I look at some of your, you know, some of the others who've been recognized in the containers trailblazer space, so I'm sure you will probably recognize the names of, uh, for example, Aqua Security have just closed their Series E, which takes them with an under, another 135 million to $265 million worth of investment, bit of a difference in that, you know, the similar length of uh, time that those guys have been around as well, 265 million and 14 million. Yeah, that, that, that's a bit different. And then obviously we've looked at some others who have also been acquired. So for example, Carsten last year, who were runners up, uh, I spoke to Niraj Tolia, one of the, the founders there. Uh, they were acquired by Veeam. Portworks were acquired by Pure storage for 370 million. So, you know, I think it would be interesting to see what happens to you guys over the next couple of years. I'm sure you won't be able to tell us too much, but hopefully we'll certainly be keeping an eye on things. Um, so from that perspective, what do you feel you've learned from this? I mean, we, it's clearly if you've if you've taken this level of investment, you know, you've got a great VC partner with Excel. The money came in quite late in your, you know, you're already three years into to Styra at that time. You obviously have a lot of focus on your customers because, you know, when push comes to shove, ultimately you need to pay the bills, you need to pay for the offices, or you did up until um, we got stuck in a pandemic where everybody's working from home. Um, what have you learned about that, what you know, what's what's been your sort of takeaways and your advice to people? Because um, it's one of my big bugbears is that your most important investor is your client, is your client, you know, your customers. 
Right. So, uh, yeah, there's uh, uh, learned quite a bit, right? I mean, I think for, for us, one of the, the interesting things was that we did spend quite a bit of time in the early days. Like the first part of the, the, the company's journey was, was focused on open source, making sure that that project was successful and healthy um, and that solved real problems. Uh, mm-hmm. And so we spent a bunch of time in the very early days, you know, not, not just building software, but, but working with our customers, as you say, having a very mm-hmm. strong customer focus and saying, um, you know, look, what, what problems do you need to solve? Can, can OPA solve them? And if it didn't, we would, we would enhance OPA to make sure that the, that was successful. Uh, and then, as you, and then uh, you know, the second part of the, the, the journey of the company is really focusing on commercializing OPA. Uh, mm-hmm. So making sure that that, that, that commercial product that, that we provide is a great way uh, of, of bringing an, uh, uh, um, OPA into the enterprise, solving a bunch of the, a bunch of the uh, challenges that come up when, in terms of deploying OPA within an enterprise. Uh, now, what did we learn? Uh, I think we learned a, a bunch of things. And, and the, the biggest one to me is, is just, uh, and if I had to give advice to folks, I would say, you know, focus on solving real problems. I mean, it is, mm-hmm. it is amazing how, uh, how easy it is, especially, you know, I'm a technologist. So it's amazing uh, that if you're not really focused on those end users, uh, it's amazing how easy it would be to go mm-hmm. off and, and build a bunch of software that people don't need. Um, but, but so as long as you're, as you say, focused on those, those end customers, mm-hmm. those end users, uh, they will keep you uh, um, doing the right thing. And so that's certainly one thing uh, that we've seen be very, very successful. Um, and, and, then, and then that sort of implies the second thing, which is that um, it is amazing how much time and energy um, it, it, it takes to go ahead and communicate the value of a project, a company, really anything to, to the world. And that, that is incredibly valuable. Uh, and I think that is something that especially technical founders are, will often um, undervalue is that communication piece, you know, going out, giving lots of talks, but, but even engaging with, individual, with individuals or, you know, small, small teams. Uh, and so those two things, you know, making sure that you're solving real problems and making sure that, uh, that you are uh, communicating the value of what you do uh, to, to the broader world um, is, is super crucial. And certainly, certainly things that I've seen work, work very, very well. Oh, very good, very good. Well, it reminds me very much about the because um, in the in the UK you could take double mathematics sort of mm-hmm. um, at eighteen, and one is pure and one is applied. So I think the problem you find is a lot of people take a pure approach to technology, as in, oh, you know, what can we do, and the versus the applied in what should we be actually trying to do that actually makes a difference for people. Oh yeah, and I'll, I'll reiterate that. Like I, I know very well what the what the sort of pure approach looks like, right? At, at all those years I was in, uh, I spent in academia. Right? Mm-hmm. I know what that looks like. Uh, I also now know <laughs> exactly what it takes in, in the more applied uh, in the more applied uh, arena here, working in industry for the last uh, several years. Brilliant. And any other sort of takeaway? So you've talked about communicating, and obviously, you know, your marketing team have put you forward for the awards, and you've. Clearly done very well. Uh, so congratulations again on that. Um, what what other things for you personally? Because you know I, I don't know how much of a shift it was from your perspective over the last few years of, as you've been a startup founder versus an academic versus somebody who was in a bigger corporation. Yeah, well, I mean, the the interesting thing to me is that if I compare sort of a- academics open source, and even commercialization, I, I feel like there are just so many parallels there. Like so many of the skills that you develop when you're, you know, in academia, you'll, you'll invent new, whatever, algorithms, but then, uh, and that's, you know, hard technical work, but then you've got to spend a lot of time 
explaining and, and communicating the value of that to, your, to, the, to the rest of the ac- academia, right? Um, mm. Similarly in open source, you, you build that piece of, of technology and then you spend a whole bunch of time talking to people and explaining why it's useful and showing them why it's useful. Uh, and then commercialization feels the same way. It's just that that communication piece is, uh, you know, is broken into marketing and sales. And so, uh, and, the, and the technology piece is broken into product and engineering. But, but, hmm. but there are these very common threads across all these, these different, um, seemingly very different uh, environments. But in, in fact, I, did, I find that the, that the skills you need to be successful are very, very similar in, in all, all three of those areas. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Well, communications is obviously something that you're very good at. You know, you present an awful lot about, you know, what you guys are doing and in various guises, both on, you know, the platform of places like the CNCF and others. Um, what's coming next for you guys? You know, you could pr- you know, you've ch- achieved very impressive revenue growth over the last 12 months or so i'm sure you haven't been doing too shabby prior to that either what more can we be expecting to see from you guys yeah and may, maybe i'll just amplify that a little bit like i've been excited over the over the past yeah, as you say year uh to see that that triple revenue growth and and to see you know um and that's great from a from a like a new customer point of view but i but i also pay a lot of attention to our existing customers and you know making sure that that the renewal rates are, are good and high and they, they have been uh, I think it's like 90, 95%, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that's been really, uh, really great to see. Uh, and then the other thing that I'm always looking at is sort of like thinking about the future, you know, uh, this, this problem that we're looking at authorization policy is obviously something that those highly regulated industries like healthcare and finance care a lot about. They, they, they live and breathe it. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I'm looking at the future, I'm also thinking about, well, do we focus there? Do we focus more broadly on, on, on other segments? And so. It's been great to see that, like, if we looked at uh, uh, our current customer base, it's like 40% uh, roughly of customers are not in highly regulated industries. So that's a, you know, that's a coin flip as far as I'm concerned. And so from my point of view, uh, looking to the future, what that implies is that this really is a pretty universal problem that we're looking at. So there's not your regulatory pressure that's bringing those 40%. What do you think is the, the driver for them? Yeah, I mean, I think that this notion of of, of authorization policy is just it's just pervasive, right? It, it's it has certainly security and compliance. Uh, there are certainly compliance and, and security policies that you need to put in place, but there's also a whole collection of just operational policies, policies that just um, help the, the 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 business run or the, the 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 development pipelines run the way they're they're intended to be. Like anybody who's using software in a team typically has to make decisions about how they're going to use software. Um, and so those, you know, if, if you just leave those, those sort of rules, those, um, those conventions to PDFs and to wikis, uh, and you don't codify it in some way, shape, or form, then you're just trusting that everybody learns. So, you know, you're, you're relying on people to, to learn what those rules are, to learn how to, you know, create tickets in JIRA correctly and fill out all the right fields or whatever it is. Um, but if you put those instead, if you put those rules and regulations into, into software and something like OPA and Styra, uh, then, then you've got uh, just better efficiencies across the, the spectrum in terms of, of how those, those enterprises work together to, to run and, and build their software. So there's this big operational component uh, as well as sort of the security and compliance side. Hmm. Are you seeing that? Well, there's sort of like the supply chains are becoming more integrated as well, and perhaps that is an element within it? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the big trend that we see is just everything's getting automated, right? And, sure. so, um, and so when you start thinking about automating everything, what you know is that you can't end up with certain pieces that are manual, right? If you've got a bunch of security checks that, have to, that people have to perform before you, let's say, release a piece of software, uh, then you can't go any faster than those people can check, um, check put, put, uh, do whatever checking they need to do. But if instead, if you take those, those same security checks that you typically have security or compliance or whoever do, uh, and you automate them, then you can automate the whole thing. And you can, you know, you can obviously then start um, running software and deploying software more at the speed of, you know, minutes instead of months, uh, which is mm. the way I would. Yeah, well, look, reducing that cycle is obviously going to be important as people want to stay competitive and agile, you know, spreading that software development term into the wider organization, which I'm sure you're not, you're not adverse to. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, any other things for you personally? I mean, where do you go? You know, you've, you've done this already. What else are we going to see from you guys or from you personally? Um, well, yeah, I think, I think as, as a company, you know, the, the, the road is very clear ahead of us, right? Which is that we've got, you know, uh, tons and tons of OPA users we've got and, and we interact with them all the time. And so they can tell us exactly what else we need to do uh, as both for, op- for the open source project as well as our, our commercial commercial mm. problem. And so that to me is, is, is wonderful, right? Like, you know, you're working with people, you're helping them to solve problems. And, and oh, by the way, uh, you're also figuring out exactly what you as a company need to do to, to really be successful. Um, mm. And so that's, that's super exciting. Um, for, for me, uh, this is, you know, the, the company is growing. We've grown uh, quite a bit last year. I think, I think it was like r- roughly 90%. So for me, it's been a lot of fun. And I, I expect it to be, can, uh, to be a lot of fun in the future to just see and, and work and, and, uh, with a growing company. And, you know, um, uh, I think that'll be a lot of fun. So you won't have met a lot of your colleagues then. Have you, what sort of size are we talking about for the, for the team that you guys are, are leading at the moment? Yeah. So, so we're right at, we're right at uh, 40 folks uh, right now. Uh, and so it's, you know, we were, we were obviously about 30 last, last, uh, last year or so. Um, you know, this is this is exciting. We, you know, when you start growing ninety percent in a in a year, that's uh, that's huge. So, quite uh, a bit of fun. Cool. And are you all based in California, or bearing in mind it's over the last twelve months where it doesn't matter where anybody is anymore? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The, we were more focused in California um, mm-hmm. uh, for the last year, uh, but but uh, we we always wanted to get to a point where we were we were uh, more distributed uh, just because. I think it's overall better for the company, but but now obviously we are all, all very distributed. Uh, and but I think we've also taken this as an opportunity to to become more of a remote first company. And so mm. uh, and so we've been hiring more so all over the world, and and I think that's been overall really really good. And uh, I expect that to continue. Brilliant, fantastic. Anything else you'd like to share that you've picked up along your your adventure so far? I mean, I have I, one more question. Well, in fact, two questions. But carry on. Uh, anything else I'd like to share? Um, I, I think I'm just I'm just uh, pretty excited here. I mean, I think I, I'm the more I see uh, OPA traction, the more I see you know we're a million downloads a week or something at this point. So wow. uh, the, the more I see that kind of traction and growth, the the more excited I I get about about both the the open source as well as our, our commercial offering and just you know really getting to solve the mm-hmm. you know the academic in me just really badly wants to solve that unified authorization problem and fundamentally provide like that new piece of software that people just typically aren't aren't using today like you know the 
I always like to liken this to the to the database. Like today, everybody knows what a database is, and nobody thinks about building an application without a database. Well, I, I expect in the future that uh, a, an authorization system will be very similar. People will, mm. will think back, you know, I don't know how far in the future it'll be. 20 years from now, they'll look back and they'll say, how did you ever, you know, build and run a, a software without uh, this authorization system? So that's what I'm looking forward to. Brilliant. So I have to ask you, this is my other question, because you've got this fantastic background there. So where does the name come from, mm. Styra? Not Tim Heinrich, because I'd imagine that's got some Scandinavian element to it, because you've got a bit of the Viking look now with the beard and the long hair, and you know, you've got the, the horned helmet there in the background. So <laughs> you're cutting that Viking vibe at the moment. But uh, so where does Styra come from? Yeah, so Styra is, uh, is Nordic, and it means to govern. Oh, okay. So there is a Viking theme, and it's not just a really nice logo that you thought up. Oh, right. Okay. And then, yeah, and then Timu's from that. Uh, Timu, remember, uh, my uh, yeah, the co-founder is also from that that area of the world. So, oh, uh, where is he from? Yeah, so he's from uh, Sweden. Ah, okay. Yeah, so that's uh, that's all the whole Viking thing. So fantastic. That's really exciting. Cool. Well, that was my questions there. I was going to say, the other bit of that is, of course, that Styro, the .com, was available when we came up with the name. That always helps, doesn't it? very important part is to check whatever amazing name you've come up with that somebody else hasn't nabbed all your digital assets online. So, fantastic. Well, that's good to, good to know. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time, Tim. Really, really appreciate it. It's been fascinating finding out about your adventure, both individually and as an organization. And we're delighted that you've been able to come and spend some time with us sharing a little bit of the, the, the Viking magic or the, the, um, the Nordic greatness that um, has come over through Styra and obviously Californian now as well. Um, great. Well, thank you very much for your time. And I'm delighted that Tim Heinrichs, who is the CTO and co-founder of Styra, our Containers Trailblazer winner. And Tim himself was a runner-up in the Mail Tech Trailblazer of the year last year. Thanks again, Tim. And everybody, if you would like to find out more about what we're doing, please do visit techtrailblazers.com. Follow us on Twitter at techtrailblaze or find us on LinkedIn as techtrailblazers. Thanks again, Tim. Very much appreciate that. Thanks so much. It's been a ton of fun.